Well, hey, listen, Jack and Sheila Harper, Beth and I met them last year around the same time and fell in love with them and what they do in their story and how they love on people. And so uh, they're back again this year and uh, first service was amazing. And so uh, we're gonna invite them back up to the stage. So as they come, here's a little video uh, to give you an idea of what they've been doing. So check this out. Yeah. So um, we went to dinner last night, and, uh, and we just have a great time. Uh, last year, we realized uh, when you guys were here last year, it was a snowstorm. We couldn't go anywhere, so we went to the hotel you were staying at, had dinner at the hotel. And, um, and I, we still had church the next day because we're from West Virginia. <laughs> we don't close church for snow. Um, Tennessee, it's a different. <laughs> so uh, uh, we just fell in love with you guys and the ministry you do, and you were so kind to us. And then uh, Beth and I were leaving last night. We had dinner with them, and uh, and, and I th- we we walked away. We got in the car. We were like, man, they just love people. I can't say that about myself all the time. They just really love people. We talk about our kids and and all those things. So uh, you guys have had an unbelievable year this past year. So why don't you just start out by telling us how, how things have expanded, how you've, all the trainings you've done and all the things that God has able you to accomplish. Well, we, we started Safe One at 20 years ago this year. It's our 20-year anniversary. And during that time, we planted a church, and we pastored for 11 years. So as Safe One was growing, the church was doing great too, and we loved the church, but it was really hard to do both. But we were just doing it. We were just making it happen. And uh, out of left field, God showed us at the beginning of 2018 that he was going to take us out of our church and have us do this together at Save One. And, and Jack head up the men's portion of Save One. And we were sad. It was gut-wrenching to leave that church. We loved those people, and we weren't real sure what this was going to look like because we were safe and secure at the church, yeah. you know, and uh, we're out here on our own doing Save One. But it has been absolutely phenomenal. We Since the, the men's portion of this opened up, and you'll hear more about that in a minute, but the men have just come out of the woodwork. But since we have been here last year, around this same weekend, we went to 74 different cities. We've traveled over 50,000 miles, and we started 65 chapters of Save One, which is unheard of. 
been phenomenal. But a lot of it is because churches like you guys partnered with us. You're the heroes in this story because if it wasn't for you, we couldn't have started all of those chapters of Save One and traveled around and shared this message the way we've been able to. So so thank you. We were also during this year we trained hundred and twenty seven new leaders to teach Save One. So we're so thankful for you. Thank you. Yeah, and so we had a training yesterday. There was uh, 12 people from our church and a couple people from another church yeah, that had come. people from another church. We had a blast. Yeah. Uh, at least I did. I <laughs> so, um, uh, so we're starting a Save One chapter here. Jessica Cody, our, our Connect Group coordinator, is uh, starting to head that up. And so we're, we're super, super thankful for that. And just, I didn't mention this first service, but we're all from West Virginia. Don't you just by their accent believe they love you more than I do? <laughs> Isn't that true? This is true? Every, I just want to bottle it up and go, okay, when I really want to be caring, I'll talk like that. <laughs> we can teach you how. <laughs> so, uh, so people got a little bit of a snippet what you do, but why don't you tell us? a little more detail what it is that you really, uh, what the goal of Save One is. Sure. We, uh, we literally, we just help men, women, and families recover after abortion. And a lot of times people will say, why are you helping those people after an abortion? Isn't it too late for them? Or, or don't we want to stop abortion? So why don't you help the people on the front end? And it is our philosophy at Save One. We're seeing it happen now. This isn't some pipe dream that's going to happen a decade from now. This is what we're living out every day at Save One is we are seeing abortion end in these lives. Because for one, when we get them back to healing, the people who have chosen abortion, when we we hook them to Jesus through a local church like Hope, We get them back and they never choose abortion again, but then they also become the greatest voice for this debate. It is our philosophy that the people who know the truth are the ones who should be in our communities telling that truth. Because we're not hearing the truth right now from politicians or from the media or society. We're not hearing the truth. And so the people who have been through the experience, they can't really tell that truth until they've been healed. And so we do this through three Bible studies that I wrote. Jack took the men's study and rewrote it and made it a lot better. But it's a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, and a a Bible study for siblings and loved ones. And they they can all be combined and everybody be in the same small group. That's awesome. Why don't you tell us how Save One came about? I I know it was based on your life experience and your story, so... Why don't you share, there's a, there's a lot of people here who were not here last year. Yes. So why don't you share with them how that started? Well, the whole, the whole premise behind Save One is from my own story. On March 29th, 1985, I had an abortion. And it was by far the most regrettable mistake of my entire life. I could just tell you uh, horrible stories of, of the things that I saw there, the things that I went through there at this abortion clinic. But I spent the next seven years just gradually, well, not even gradually, it happened quickly, just becoming reliant upon drugs and alcohol just to make it through the day. I would take a hit of speed to wake up. I would drive around on my lunch break and smoke weed, and then I would hit happy hour as soon as work was over. And it wasn't just happy hour like 
you know, I would go for a few drinks. I would stay every night till they turned the lights on and I was helping them put the chairs on the table. I was just doing everything to keep my mind numb until I found my way to a Bible study, to a faith-based Bible study. And the only reason I went, because God was nowhere in the picture of my life back then, but the only reason why I went is because they advertised they, they reached outside their, their four walls. They advertised and they said, we've got this class for anybody who is suffering after an abortion. And I knew that was me. That, I mean, the way I remember hearing that radio commercial is that lights were shining on my car and a heavenly host of angels were singing because I never knew there were other people who suffered. But I went to this, this Bible study I got my life back. It was absolutely phenomenal, and I have not been able to be quiet about it since then because I refuse to be silent and allow my brothers and sisters to be led into believing that this lie is an answer to a problem because it's not. That's, that's, uh, it helps that you're not standing on the outside, not having an experience telling everybody else, but this ministry was founded from your healing in the way God transformed your life. So I'll be honest with you. uh, When I first met them and they said, we're ministering to men. I was a little like, I don't understand. What what do you mean? And then after talking to you, Jack, and you filling me in on the pain that men go through as well. So why don't you fill us in a little bit about what God's calling you? Sure. We, we actually started talking with men in 2004. Sheila had been, was it, no, it was 2003, probably. Yeah, oh so. yeah, three. We had been doing the Bible study at church, Sheila had, and it was gaining success, and, and people were talking about it in, within the church, and we had a man come and ask, can I go through the Bible study? And you know that is a lot of pain if a man is asking to go through a women's Bible study. <laughs> I mean, there's something going on there, right? So... So they worked it out. He came. She handed him this little book that is got it's pink with flowers all over it, and she said, "Change the pronouns, and you can go through with us." And then we kind of thought that was a fluke. Well, the very next next time we had a guy come through again. This guy was six three. Was the gas man on a NASCAR team. He drove the the tractor and trailer to and from the track. He would drive all night on Sunday sometimes to be able to get back for that. Monday Bible study. And so then Sheila started, you know, she's like, this is not a fluke. This is something that we need to address. So she wrote a Bible study for men. And, and it was a great study, and it, and it was very functional and helped men. But then along the way, God started speaking to us together. And so when, when I came on board in 2018, late in 18, I rewrote the book. So I, 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 it wasn't just that we changed the pronouns now. We have men's stories in the book for men because women's stories in a men's book that, that, that really doesn't hit the way that it should. So I, I wrote the introduction. I sent it to her to edit, and she was like, honey, you can't talk to men like this. And I'm like, honey, that's the way men talk. It's okay. It, just, it seems so harsh. <laughs> we'll be good. So most of it stayed. Maybe maybe she trimmed me down a little bit. But anyway, it was it – was, uh, we, we made that change, and – then we just started letting men know that they had an avenue. And, and literally, she said they started coming out of the woodwork. They're, they're, they're hidden because 
it hurts. That, that guilt and that shame, there's guilt, there's grief. All of them are different, but those that are, anybody that loses a child has grief. And when you lose a child, whether you chose to or, or you, it was forced upon you, there's a grief there that needs to be dealt with. And so 61 million abortions, 61,500,000 and some change since Roe versus Wade that we know of, every one of those has a man attached to it that lost fatherhood. And so we knew that there, that there is some, some deep hurts out there that need to be helped. And so we began ministering, and, and literally every, every week we're getting people that are wanting the curriculum. They're contacting us about how to, how to find help and hope and that they just don't want to go through this anymore. So just another quick part of the story, we were, Sheila was able to do a segment on the Huckabee show. Mike Huckabee had, had asked for her to come on. And they filmed it in April. They were going to air it in June. June, it didn't happen. They, she got bumped for some girl named Sarah Huckabee. I don't know what that was about. Sarah Sanders. Sanders Huck, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so uh, I guess that worked out. But when they bumped it, when they bumped the show, they bumped it on to July on the same show where the two leaders of Promise Keepers, who's reintroducing Promise Keepers this year, in 2020, they're going to do a stadium event, and one of the subjects that they're going to do is men and abortion. And so we know it was very providential that God put those two on the same show. I contacted them. We've had probably monthly conversations since, and Save One is going to be there at Promise Keepers as one of their partner ministries to help men uh, recover from the effects of abortion. So men, men... Your gender doesn't have anything to do with it. You heard after uh, the loss of a child, we're here to help. That's the way we see it. That's great. Tell us, um, so the steps to healing. Um, obviously, you've written curriculum on it. You've walked tons of people through their steps. Give us some insight on what that looks like after, after a traumatic event like an abortion and, and, and just physically or practically how you are loving on people and doing that. Well, after an abortion, it's like you stuff it down and you, you try your hardest to deal with it on a human level. And we were never built to make this decision, so you can't deal with it on a human level. That's why the aftermath of abortion is so different from other problems because other problems you can reason your way out. If you hurt your friend, you can go apologize or, or fix the problem, whatever it is. So... When you, after you have an abortion, though, you're just stuck there and you cannot fix it on a human level. So the aftermath of abortion is so much harder because God never intended, he never created us as mothers and fathers, as men and women, to choose death for our children. And so he didn't put it in us to deal with the aftermath of such a consequence. We are inserting ourselves into God's role when we make that choice. And so we, after we make that choice, we're just left with all of this hurt and this wound and this baggage. And we don't have the emotional, the spiritual, or the mental capacity to reason it out, to come to a solution. 
And so that's why we have to have that divine intervention. That's why it is so important for churches like Hope to offer something like this, to give people that moment when they can have that divine intersection. So men and women come in, they're hurt. Sometimes they can't even say the word abortion without just bursting into tears. And we lead them through. I tell people all the time, it's not anything magical that I've written in these books. It's literally just God's word focused like a laser beam on the wound that abortion leaves you with. And so people come in, they learn about the characteristics of God. They learn about renewing their mind. They learn about God's grace, that it does extend over the, the choice of abortion, the sin of abortion. They learn that they can forgive themselves. And that doesn't mean that, that you actually bestow forgiveness of your sin onto yourself. It means that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cover Amen. your sin. And so that is usually one of the pivotal moments for people because we hold on to this thinking, there's no way God can forgive me for this. This is too bad. And in essence, we're saying there's a step beyond the cross. Mm -hmm. Like there's something past the cross that has to happen to forgive me of my sin. And there's not. Mm -hmm. The cross was enough. Jesus' death. And so getting to that moment where you're, you recognize that Jesus' death on the cross was enough, that is that moment usually that is that turning point that you can forgive yourself and move on. And it's okay to live in that abundant life that he came to give you. But what we're seeing is that when you get to that point and you get that healing, you never choose abortion again. And so we're ending, we're seeing abortion end in families all around the world. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful process. I read um, last week, I read, and and this um, this was news to me. I read last week that upwards of 30% of abortions were chemical abortions done at home, uh, where we can take the morning after pill. Now there's, there's technology like that, that makes it seem more sanitized and not as dangerous and all those other things. And, and what I read was the results are almost more devastating because the woman is by herself for the whole process. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, that is a new thing, and if you saw the movie Unplanned, they, they depicted that very realistically. Um, that is a, um, just a hard moment for people because we're seeing women come in, and they were, they were told a lie. They were told that they, they go into these abortion clinics, and they're given these pills, and they're like, just go home and take the pills. They, they, uh, it will, it'll just be like you're cramping a lot or it'll be like a bad period. And so they go home thinking, oh, this is the new way to have an abortion. I'll just, you know, do this at home. And literally without getting too graphic, I don't know how else to describe this, but they're seeing the contents of their uterus be emptied in their home and by themselves. And they were thinking this wasn't going to be traumatic, and it ends up being ten times more traumatic for these women because they're believing the lie that this is an easier way to out of this problem. And they end up just, it, it's, they're coming to us much earlier now because of chemical abortions, because they are so much deeper traumatized 
than they were because in a surgical abortion, you can kind of stay detached. But with this, you're not. You're right there. You're seeing every bit of it. And it's absolutely horrendous what is happening to women through chemical abortion. So you had said that that before women might wait 10 years, 20 years, you said 30, 40 years sometimes before they would talk about it. But this is causing women, it's so traumatic, it's causing them to come quicker. They're coming earlier, sometimes a week later, sometimes six months later. They're coming so much earlier because they, they are, it is trauma to them and it is an abortion wound. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit. We, we believe in, in the process in people's lives. It's, it's one of our core values. We call it the process. Um, we, we understand that everybody is on the process of the, of the uh, theological word sanctification. It's the, it's the becoming more like Christ. It's the, uh, it's the dealing with the sin in your life. And, and it's, it's becoming pure, like, like Jesus was pure. So that's a process that we're all in. Amen. Amen. There's, if there's anybody that's finished that process here, would like to include us all on, on how you did that. That would be wonderful. Uh, but if I'm correct, all of us are somewhere along that line of that process. And, um, and so we believe as a church in walking through every step of the process with everybody. And, and I've used an analogy before about steps in America. We have even steps. Anybody recognize that? Like when you're, like when you're in a, in a, in a, in a building somewhere and you go running up the steps, your mind tells you after the first couple, all the steps are this, are the same. You realize that. And you trust that the engineer and the building guy put them like they were supposed to be there. I've been in other countries where that's not the case. So my American brain kicks in. I run up the first couple steps and then everything breaks loose. Cause you have a, you have three steps that are eight. Then you have a six inch tall step and then you have a 10 inch tall step and then you have an eight inch tall step and you're tripping going up steps. You're tripping coming down steps. So now I just walk very slowly and, and mindfully up steps. I don't trust any step maker. And that might sound silly, but we expect people's process to be that way too. We want everybody to take the same even steps towards Jesus and like you're getting better and it's just the same amount of progress and it's predictable and nobody's, nobody's going, uh, off the wag and it's just all predictable. Well, the reality of our lives is it's not, it's not predictable. None of it is. And so you may have a six inch step. You may be on the same step for five years. Anybody ever been stuck on a step for five years? Yeah, you're like, I'm, 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 I feel like I've been running, but I didn't go anywhere. So one of the things that I want, that, that I see the church is that, is, let me ask you this. How many of you are rule followers? Just put your hand up. You love rules. You like enforcing rules. <laughs> rules rule my life. How many of you are not? Oh, well, a whole bunch of you don't know what you are. You're like, I mean, if the rule's good, I'll follow. If it's not, I won't. One of the, one of the, one of the difficulties in the church over the years is that somebody, somebody does something sinful and we still are trying to figure out how to put our arms around them. 
because there's the rules and then there's after the rules. And we have a difficult time going, hey, you broke the rules, but we understand you're in the process. And so can you talk to us a little bit? Because the, the truth of the matter is people still get pregnant out of wedlock. People still get in situations that, that go against what scripture t- tells us how to live. And, and so the, so a church that might've been 30 years ago might, might've handled a circumstance one way. And, and here we're trying to understand that people are in the process. So uh, I say these things, this type of uh, phrase, uh, people come to me and say, man, I'm struggling with this. And I say, I- I'm glad you're struggling. Because if you weren't struggling, that means the Holy Spirit is not in you. Because Paul clearly says that if, if the Holy Spirit isn't in us, we're a slave to sin. And you don't struggle, you just sin. So if there's a struggle in you, that means the Holy Spirit's in you causing the struggle. And so when anybody walks in my office and says, man, I'm struggling with this, I go, well, let's stop there. That's good. I'm glad you're struggling with it. And sometimes they look at me like, oh, I don't want to struggle with it anymore. Well, we'll get to that point. But right now I'm glad you're struggling with it. And so for a church to realize that everybody, everybody in here is in a struggle. Come on, can I get an amen about that? Everybody in here is in a struggle. So could you talk to us as a church? Our, let's say our response to somebody that is pregnant and it was unplanned or, or, or out of what we would call God's plan for marriage. Talk to us about how the church reacts to that and how important it is. I think one of the things that, uh, that we do well is that we comfort others with the comfort that we've been comforted with. That's, yeah. that's what Second Corinthians says. So when we know that area, then we're comfortable in dealing with that. But what, what has happened in the, the big church, the worldwide church, hasn't really embraced this subject yet. So we don't have a whole lot of people. The tension is, is that we don't have enough people to be able to comfort the one-third of our, of our sanctuary, the one-third of the women, one-third of the men. Yeah. And so we're in that kind of awkward tension. But, but it's, it's just like anything else. You know, the reason we come to faith is because Jesus loved us. Yeah. That's, that's the only reason, because he, he loved us enough to come and, and to die for us. So when, when, when we look at people as they come in the door... If we can just embrace them where they are, we don't have to love what they're doing or what they have done, but yeah. if we just embrace them right where they are and love them from that point forward, then we're able to help people the way that Jesus wanted us to. Because he, he didn't look at me and say, let me see if you fit the filter before I, I die for you. He died for me. Yeah. I mean, he did that 2,000 years ago. He didn't, he didn't look and check me out first. He just said, Jack, I'm going to do it. And, and whatever it is, it's okay. So... For us as the church, if we embrace people when they come in the door, if we're not trying to put them in a filter and qualify them, if yeah. we just love on them and then love them through where they are, then I think we're doing what we're supposed to. And, and you had that experience. Mm-hmm. I did have that experience. And uh, I was an alcoholic. I'd been an alcoholic since the first sip. I didn't realize that part but for, for a long time. But I started drinking when I was 13 excessive drinking just became a way of life when I was 36 years old I walked into a church on September 6 1998 I didn't want to be there the only reason that I went is so that she would not hound me for the rest of the that next week I'm serious about that 
Um, she, she was constantly trying to get me to Jesus because she knew that was the only answer, the only possible answer mm-hmm. in my life. So we had been coming to the church, and the, the people in the church, they didn't reject me. They didn't tell me you smell like a brewery. They just loved on me. And so they, they kept the doorway open for me to, to experience God's grace. And on September 6, 1998, third row back, I'll seat, left-hand side of the building. I always find that place. It's an altar of victory for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, when, while I was sitting there, God spoke to me. I was radically saved. I was delivered of alcohol. And that only happened because the church loved me and allowed me to continue on where I was. We, we, we just don't need to filter or qualify people when they come in. Just love them. That's, yeah. that's what happened with us. Yeah. Can I add a quick story to that as well? Just the opposite end of the spectrum. I had a girl that came into a Save One class many, many years ago, and she told this story. She had had an abortion and was struggling afterward, and she had told this story that when she was a teenager, a girl that was a, a few years older than her had gotten pregnant out of wedlock in their church. And she remembers, it was traumatizing to her. She remembers that they brought, the the pastor brought the girl, the teenage girl up on stage and made her tell the church what she had done. And that, that girl was so traumatized when she ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock a few years later. It wasn't even a question. She was going to have an abortion because she thought, there's no way I could ever tell my church. So even though I'm sure the pastor thought he was doing the right thing, it just drove someone else toward abortion. Instead of driving them to Jesus, he drove them away. So we have to be careful about how our language. Yeah, we talked about that last week. There's a power of life and death in the tongue and you never you never know how it's impacting people. So if you if if your if your attitude towards life towards life is to speak life into other people regardless of their circumstances. And uh, Jack, I think I heard you say earlier you didn't know you didn't need anybody to tell you no. that, that it was wrong. And most of us don't. Yeah. We don't need anybody to tell us it was wrong, um, but we do need, and we've seen this over and over here at this church, that when you lovingly put your arms around, not condoning what happened, right. but lovingly put your arms around people and are willing to walk through the process. And um, by nature, I'm not a quitter. Uh, I'll, I'll keep doing things just out of pride because I don't want to quit. <laughs> um, but if our community knows that we refuse to give up on people, come on, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a, your neighbor, maybe it's a, a kid. Uh, but if our community knows, hey, those people refuse to give up. Now, I'm not talking about boundaries. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about loving people through the process, through the whole process. And there wasn't any part of Jesus that got near the cross and went, ah, you know what, I'm just... He went through the whole thing for you and me. And the Bible says that, that he finishes the process in us over and over again. I am with you till the end. I'm with you. Don't fear. I'll be with you to the end. And so he walks all the way through the end with us, giving us enough power to walk through the end with other people. And so, so one of the issues in our modern culture is people do not believe the church will stick with them when they make a mistake. And, and what I know about everybody sitting in this room is that we will all make a mistake. 
probably today, probably today. And so if we can, if we can let the Holy Spirit do that work in us and make us determine the same way Jesus was and the same way the Holy Spirit is with us, that we can be determined to see people all the way through the process. And, and, uh, and, and I want a church that's standing there at the end clapping for people, uh, not, not, but, but cheering people and saying, man, you made it, you made it, you made it. You know what? The, the scripture says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to be happy about that, but I'd like to be standing behind Jesus when other people hear that just going, hey, dude, you made it. You made it. You made it. And we could be that church. Amen. And so uh, I, I, I want to be the church that encourages a young lady or any age lady that's contemplating that, hey, we're here for you no matter what. And, and changes her mind. And, and let me say this. I think the most effective thing that we can do as a church, there's all this conversation about politics, but I'm telling you, politics will never change anybody's spiritual destiny. Amen. That's it right. will, it, I don't care how much energy we'll put into it. It will not lead anybody to Jesus. But if we can wrap our arms around people, convince them that God is for them and we're for them, we could end the abortion deal. We could really do it inside the church. Forget what politicians think. I don't care anymore. If the church rises up and does what we're called to do, we won't need politicians to make a law. You won't need it. And so, um, so that's your all's goal. You you said it earlier. You said we can love people and restore them to health. They won't have another abortion and they're the biggest cheerleader for not having an abortion. It's like they become these walking billboards for God's grace and mercy and yeah. forgiveness. And it's almost like you're compelled to tell others. It doesn't mean once you go through the Save One program, we say, hey, now it's time for you to go tell everyone you've had an abortion. There's never a time like that. But there is a moment most of the time where you're, you're shocked, but all of a sudden you're telling your story to someone and they change their mind about their abortion, their abortion stance because they're hearing the truth and the truth sets us free and you cannot argue with someone's personal experience. And so the more we raise this army of truth tellers, it goes right along with what you were just saying. The loudest voice will be the one who's heard. And we need to be the loudest voice. We don't have to be Republican or Democrat or stand and scream and yell in Washington. You can't opt out of the political process. We have to be involved because we have to change laws. But more importantly, we have to change hearts. And that's what the church does. Because as we change hearts, the culture will shift in that direction. What did we hear this week? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. (laughs) So culture is what will turn the tide. And it's the church that can change the culture. Amen. Amen. Well, tell us what next year looks for you looks like for you guys. Well, we're just as booked as we were last year, so it's probably going to be seventy four or more cities this year. We our goal is to start one hundred new chapters of Save One this year. Uh, we have a huge European tour that we're doing in Budapest and Ireland and in Vienna, seeing some of our chapters over there and having a summit with the European leaders over there, um, the save one leaders, not the European leaders, but I, I thought I need to qualify that. Uh, we actually need to talk to them. <laughs> yes, we do actually. But, uh, so is there anything else other than promise keepers? That's promise keepers huge. in July and August, we have 
46 different churches that we're scheduled to be in this year. We take off December, Easter, and July 4th weekend, so the other, the rest of them are booked. Um, I think, I think God has just positioned us in a place, and it happens because of what you guys did. Your giving helps us make that happen. Last year, we were just in this whirlwind, and um, just being able to provide places of hope and healing and restoration through the the chapters. So thank you guys for becoming a chapter and a place of to help your community. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you do. You are lovely people, oh, and um, we love this church. Yeah. We're not just saying that because we're on stage. We really <laughs> love it. <laughs> Why don't we stand? Uh, I want Jack and Sheila to pray over us as a church. Um, in a in a in a room this size with this many people in it, we know this statistics tell us that there's many people in here who've who've experienced or been a part of of experiencing this, and um, and there is healing, there is hope, uh, and the Spirit of God could could touch you today, this morning, and then and then as a church uh, in our community, and and what we say far and wide, we want. We want to be, to be able to love on people and see them restored. Amen. And so would you guys do that? Would you guys pray for us? Father, we thank you so much you. for Pastor Chris, Pastor Beth, Hope Church. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have put an anointing on them, that you have put them in this time. Lord, that you have raised up leaders with vision. Lord, not just to reach those with inside the walls of the church, but to reach out into the community reach out into this region, reach out into the world, Lord. They are following your commands to go, therefore, and make disciples. Lord, we thank you, God, that they also take up that scripture in 1 Corinthians, Lord, that says that if one person, one person in the church is hurting, then the whole church can't be complete, and that they're willing to walk with those that are hurting to help them receive the healing, to walk in the fullness of who Christ has called them to be. And Lord, to bring the whole church into that moment of victory where they can stand and applaud and, and celebrate these changed lives. So Lord, for those that are here this morning that are hurting, Lord, that have been impacted by the men in this room, the grandparents who haven't been able to be a grandparent, the siblings who've lost brothers or sisters, Lord, we pray over them. Lord, that you would make this moment a, a pathway to healing for them, Lord, that this would be the moment where they decide they have to deal with this now and that they can walk in the fullness of who you have created them to be. So, Lord, in every aspect of the way, Lord, I pray exceedingly and abundantly that you would bless this church, that you would watch over them, not only in their finances, Lord, but in the spirit of the church, the way they have made this place a place of community, the way they have de determined that they would be a missional church. Lord, every aspect, God, that you would just bless it, Lord. And we thank you in advance for what you're doing here at Hope Church. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, could you tell us you got a table out there? Tell us what's on the table real quick. Yeah, we have, we have a table up in the upper lobby. And we have resources there for you guys. If you, if you know somebody that's hurting, you want to come by and grab a book, then, then we have those. And then we also have some T-shirts and stuff. And those, those are just to get the word out. It's just a little bit of advertisement. We have a T-shirt right here. Third row back, aisle seat, left inside the building. 
Thank you guys so much. Come on, could you appreciate them this morning? It's good. Thank you. Hey, listen, we'll see you back here next week. We'll continue I Like Giving. Encourage somebody on your way out.